I would encourage people to dig into this because there is an explanation for the way that human beings are. There's a solution that God provides, and he underlines the fact, oh, he, he explains why we have failed every time to conquer the darkest things about ourselves and what his solution is. And you find that by digging into church history and by digging into prophetic history, you start to see very clearly that, uh, that human nature hasn't changed, and you start to understand why we're always disappointed when we try to fix the things that plague us most. And then you get this ray of hope on the horizon. My goodness, someone saw this, they understand it all, and they're telling us there is a solution coming, and uh, th that's just a mind-blowing experience. My family and I love history, and especially U.S. history. And so, with my daughter now almost eight years old, we have made it a regular practice to study early American history and visit national historic sites and parks whenever we can. However, as a Christian, I find it impossible to study our nation's history without seeing the hand of God all along the way. From the first voyage of Christopher Columbus to early interactions between Native Americans and the first European pilgrims and settlers, to develop the beliefs and values that would one day shape our nation and form the basis of the Constitution that still stands today. God has indeed providentially built and blessed this nation. Of course, the core principles guiding this nation have always been liberty and justice for all, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and the rights and equality of man. The United States of America was the first nation ever to exist without a king or a pope, and God has truly blessed her beyond measure. But what happens when the country begins to reject the values that stand at its foundation? What happens when truth and liberty are exchanged for corruption and control? Could the freedoms we have taken for granted as a nation now be at risk? Could we be returning to the very thing we rejected when this nation was created? And does Bible prophecy have anything to say about it? In this episode, I was privileged to interview Pastor Sean Boonstra. For those of you who don't know, Sean has been serving the church in various capacities for almost 30 years and is currently the speaker and director of Voice of Prophecy a radio program and evangelistic ministry that reaches millions of people every year with the gospel. Sean is also a sought-after speaker and often can be found organizing local evangelistic events in cities around the world. I got a chance to meet Sean in person earlier this year at a conference his ministry sponsored and have always been inspired by his thoughtful, down-to-earth approach to making Bible prophecy relevant and accessible. I hope you are inspired with my conversation as much as I was. I started the interview by asking him what he's up to these days. Man, we are busier than a one-legged soccer player, and I, I you know, that's uh, that's a visual that maybe, you know, um, is uh, curious to some. But you know, that that's about as busy as a person can get. And we're turning out all kinds of new stuff. We're working on a new series that comes out here in a couple of months and uh, we're also down in studio we've got two or three regular weekly radio broadcasts that we produce downstairs and so we're just running around like chickens with our heads cut off but it's 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 great you know Travis I just got a, a letter from a guy in prison who's got no access to Christianity or 
or God, and he listens every week. And, and I was in tears reading this thing this morning that, you know, it's making a difference. So we're happy to be that kind of busy. Amen. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be talking about that event that's happening or that that uh, you were just mentioning in, in a little bit here. But before we get into to that, you know, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your your own experience with Bible prophecy. Um, you know, I know that uh, the ministry you're involved in is called Voice of Prophecy. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so, you know, obviously that has been meaningful in your own life. So, so when did you first encounter Bible prophecy and how did that affect your own life at that time? Well, I think that the first encounter probably, you know, I didn't recognize how it impacted me, but when I was, I don't know, we're going way back into ancient history, but when I was a kid, I learned to read by reading the Bible, and my parents bought me like this cheap children's paraphrase that was popular back in the ancient days in the 60s and 70s. And so I started reading that thing, and of course I wandered over as a kid to the book of Revelation, and, and you know, it blew my mind, and I didn't understand a, a lick of it. I mean, where beasts crawling out of the sea, trumpets, and all this stuff. I didn't really get it, and um, but but I was fascinated by it, because how do you not be fascinated by this strange and wonderful book there at the end of the Bible? And some of the language, you know, it said, Behold, I come quickly, that's Jesus is going to come back. And I remember running into the backyard, looking up in the sky and thinking, well, he must be happening any moment now. I want to be out here watching when it, when it does. And that's really early childhood. A little bit later on, you know, late and eight, nine, ten, twelve years of age, I got invited to a Bible camp, and they started showing these movies about Bible prophecy. And um, I'm not sure those all left the best impression. You know, everybody disappeared out of the world, and the Antichrist comes and starts killing people, and um, and then they'd play eerie music. And I don't know that that that, that probably scared me more than anything. Um, but I, you know, it made me curious, I guess, in the earliest days. And I, I guess as a kid, I also thought, well, this is impossible to understand. They're just kind of guessing at all this stuff. And, um, and so I didn't, I'm not sure I grasped it in my earliest experience. I guess I was exposed to it is the best way to describe it. But then later, after a little bit of time in the wilderness, uh, Travis, I, and I, I call myself a recovering heathen to this day. Uh, <laughs> I did go out into the wilderness. God, yeah, I know God doesn't have any grandchildren and I lived a rough life and it was actually Bible prophecy that brought me back to believing in God and anchored me. And now we're talking late teens, early, um, early twenties. And, uh, at this point, I guess this will date me the first Gulf war is breaking out and I'm watching these tracer bullets, you know, go across the night sky. A lot of people remember those images in, in the first Gulf war. And I had this neighbor who said, Oh, I bet this is Armageddon. And suddenly I think, Oh yeah, I read about that somewhere. Remembered my childhood. And then it started an exploration that brought me into complete belief in the Bible and the existence of God. And more than that, not just that he existed, but he, he's accessible and that he cares and that he wants to be in my life and that my universe can make sense. Um, so it, you know, it, it, it took a couple of decades for me to get to where uh, I should have probably landed much earlier, but it was maybe the first time, I don't know, as I started to explore Bible prophecy and figure out what it said and what it didn't say, um, that it was a huge eye opener. I just suddenly I thought, man, this book, there's more to this. This is not a piece of religious propaganda. Something's something's behind this book that is inexplicable 
unless there's a God. Wow. And so it, it was not just uh, a collection of facts and, 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 and oh, collecting, no. uh, oh, this, you know, for sharing table conversations around the dinner table. But you were saying that your encounter with Bible prophecy actually was instrumental in your conversion story. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's no question about it. You know, and I was raised by godly parents. They, they read the Bible to us at night. And so, so I had early exposure. Um, but suddenly God was real when I really started to dig in and get past. You know, there's a lot of fluff in the bookstores about Bible prophecy and a lot of guesswork going on. But when I really started to read the entire Bible and see how it's structured and that Revelation is not just the you know ramblings of a madman, but that it's actually anchored in the other 65 books, yeah, there was no—I I guess there was no escaping it anymore. God was real, and um, and he wanted me to understand that he knows I exist, that he cares about my future— and that I can have some peace of mind in this world. So it's deeply personal to me. Mm. And so, you know, beyond the curiosity effect, because sometimes I, I wonder, and, and maybe somebody's listening, and they are just curious about Bible prophecy, yeah. and, and they don't really see anything beyond that. But but how have you been able to maintain that interest over the years? You know, you learned it, and some might say, okay, yeah. now I know it, so I'm just going to move on with my life. How, how Why have right. you continued to... Uh, be interested in it, and why do you think it's relevant today? Why, why, why do you think it's something that others should should pursue as well? Well, you know, here's the issue: is like you say, well, you learned it. Now, I'd say I'm learning it, and I've barely, you know, I've barely approached the tip of this iceberg. You mm. know, somebody once said to me, you know, if if something is man-made, if something is man-made, it, you will notice the flaws. So, for example, a napkin or a tablecloth looks beautiful, but put it under a microscope and you're going to see that the, the weave isn't perfect and that threads are breaking and it's not perfect. But if God's in it, you put it under the microscope and you will never stop seeing the perfection of the thing. So a snowflake or, or something, you know, you, so am I, have I learned it? No, I'm still learning it. You can't get to the bottom of this. And the further I go, the more sense it makes, the more everything hangs together. And I guess I got addicted to it. And what's interesting you know, I hated history in, in, in school. My goodness, I hated history. And it may have something to do with the fact that I had to study Canadian history in school, and we're just too nice and polite to actually do anything that makes the story <laughs> exciting. Um, but when I started to dig into this, um, I can't hit the bottom of it. I mean, I've got 4,000 books on history in my study, and three more arrived from Amazon last night. I'm breaking my family's budget on this stuff. I'm still learning. So how do I maintain my interest in it? My goodness, if you get into this stuff, uh, you will be there a long, long time. It's like, how do you explore the universe? You know, do you look through the telescope a couple of times? Now I learned it. No, you suddenly realize that it's infinite out there and there's so much to learn. I got addicted to it. And, and more than just the facts, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. The facts are amazing. And I find new facts almost every day. But it's the God behind that stuff. It's like, you know, the world is a mess, and he puts up these signposts along the way to let you know where you are in his universe. And, and, and it gives you this peace of mind of knowing that someone's actually running the show. Somebody's in control out there, doesn't violate our freedom of choice, but he's in charge. 
Well, that's a good feeling. And I don't know, you get addicted to that one, knowing that there is a God who cares. Um, how do I maintain it? Uh, get started, you know, with a holistic approach to Bible prophecy, understand how it was structured and you're not going to be able to help yourself. you you know, it'll be your best addiction ever. <laughs> Well, that that's encouraging um, because um, I think you know, and this is true for I think Christianity in in general. Um, you know, a lot of us are just kind of satisfied with with the surface level of understanding with with not just Bible prophecy, but but all aspects of what the Bible teaches. And clearly, this you know experience that you had as a young man has you know is blossomed, and and so you are now the speaker and director of Voice of Prophecy. Um, maybe for someone who doesn't know or isn't familiar with Voice of Prophecy, um, kind of uh, share a little bit about the the vision behind it and maybe a little of the history sure. just uh, into to where we are today um, with with that ministry. Sure. You know, I, uh, I wasn't around when this thing started. I think, I believe we may be the oldest faith-based broadcast, uh, certainly in radio, that's, that's, you know, and continuously on the air, I think the whole world. And I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's true. First went on the air in 1929, and uh, I think the first broadcast was October 19 that year. And five days later, the market crashes. We go into the Great Depression. It's an interesting time in history. The guy's name was HMS Richards. Uh, you know, was one of the legends of Christian radio broadcasting. He was actually recording his uh, show in a chicken coop in the beginning because he didn't have a dime to operate with, delivering the recordings to KNX Radio in Los Angeles. And from there, within a few years, it went uh, it went global. It used to not be called the Voice of Prophecy. When it started, I think they called it the Tabernacle of the Air, which is a very 1920s-sounding title, um, and then became the voice of prophecy. And here's what's curious, is they absolutely did focus on prophecy, but not not the way that you see people do it today. You know, people are almost trying to scare people with prophecy or impress you with their facts and their knowledge. It was always very Christ-centered, and it was always about having people understand that, that God exists, that He loves you, that He desires to be in your life, and, uh, and have a, a personal relationship with you. Um, prophecy was a big part of that, of course. HMS Richards, I believe, went on to predict that Hitler was going to lose based on his understanding of Daniel chapter 2 and the prophecy that you find there. And some people said, well, that's risky. How do you know? I, because you know Hitler looked like he might win a lot of Europe and establish himself at that point. He says, no, 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 Daniel 2. And he was absolutely right. Um, and he helped a generation understand that the Bible is trustworthy. And then the big reason for wanting that is to know that there is a God who is trustworthy behind that. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of interesting because you guys um, on your um, on your podcast, you guys have re-released some of those classic episodes. And, and I've had oh, a yeah, chance absolutely. to go back and listen to, I don't know how many of them you have released, but, but I know I went back and just uh, listened to a few of them. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's kind of like going to church on the radio, um, but it was just, you know, you just feel like you're being taken back in time. And yet, and yet oh, when yeah. you listen to what they're talking about, you know, it's like, wow, they're talking about the same thing that, that we're talking about today. And because, you know, the Bible is still relevant in the topics that, 
you know, the, the fears and the anxieties and the, the concerns, you know, obviously they, they, um, the context changes, but the, the human need and the human desire for answers uh, is still right. the same. Well, here's what I find interesting. You know, it, it, they do they do sound old timey radio, which is why I like them. But you're right; the content hasn't had to shift a whole lot. You know, we speak a little differently now, a hundred years later. We're get well, we're ninety years old this year, I guess. Um, and uh, and culture has shifted a little bit, but the most profound needs of human beings don't shift at all. They just don't. They mm-hmm. haven't in thousands of years. And here's what I find interesting: is that HMS Richards established this. Uh, reading the Bible and reading prophecy the way that Christians did for like the first 1,800 years of Christianity's experience, it it comes as a surprise to a lot of people to discover that the way that we talk about prophecy today and the fact that you can go into a bookstore and buy a hundred books on prophecy and get a hundred different, radically different opinions, it wasn't always that way. There was general you know, not in every detail, but there was general unanimity on what prophecy was saying and how it was structured for 1,800 years. And HMS was in that tradition, and the things he said still apply today. We've not had to apologize for anything because we've taken sort of the historical approach that Christians have always had to, pro- uh, to understanding prophecy, and uh, we don't have to move the markers. We don't have to change our minds every two months because we're looking at the big picture. And I really did appreciate that about him. And, you know, those broadcasts, yeah, they sound old timey and so on, but they still apply. We haven't had to apologize for any of them. (laughs) Yeah. And I like, that's a good transition because I was thinking, you know, this historical approach to Bible prophecy um, is is, uh, something that you've been working on um, with uh, producing some miniseries. And I personally have enjoyed them. the first one came out a few years ago called uh, Shadow Empire, and right. then another one you produced was called The Pale Horse Rides, and, and essentially they're kind of the, the history of the Christian church since the adoption by Constantine of, the, yeah. of Christianity into the Roman Empire around the 4th century. So can you share a little bit about, you know, what, what motivated you to produce those two um, miniseries and, um, and uh, just share a little bit about what was the content in those series? Sure. You know, I, I, I sometimes turn on the TV and I watch all the preachers who are talking about prophecy, and I'm thinking, my goodness, why do we have to change our mind about what prophecy says every couple of weeks? and move, keep moving the goalposts, if we were to go back to the way that Christians have historically understood prophecy, it makes clear sense. And one of the things that's really mind-blowing about it is that almost nothing that's happened in the Christian world for the last 2,000 years should have caught us by surprise. There's remarkable detail in the Bible. Now, here's what's interesting, Travis. I mean, if you go back and read Christian writers from, say, the 19th century and the 17th century, it blows your mind. These people had, not only did they virtually know the Bible by heart, some of the great ones, but they had a profound sense of this idea that God has been working with his people continuously since the day Christ went back to heaven and uh, revealing himself through history and working with his people through history, much the way he did in the Old Testament with, with Israel. 
Um, our ancestors in Christianity, going back just a couple of hundred years, were historically literate and mind-blowingly so. I mean, I can't believe their understanding. Here's an example. Um, there were those in the 19th century who were able to predict right to the day the downfall and humiliation of the Ottoman Empire. In 1840, they suffered a major blow, and they were saying, well, we know what's coming for the Ottoman Empire. We found it in Bible prophecy, and they were absolutely right. And they didn't have flavor of the month. They were watching God unfold throughout history. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to underline. It's like, look, it makes sense. Nothing has caught God by surprise. Nothing should catch us by surprise. And I want to recapture that profound sense of history. Christianity is a historical religion. It's not a bunch of facts. It's God revealing himself to people and working with people over the course of history, and he's got a target in mind. And, you know, today a lot of people point out, oh, Christianity's gone off the rails. Christians aren't Christ-like. I don't argue with them because they're right. Mm -hmm. They're absolutely right. You know, they say, well, Christianity's become a business. Yeah, we did. And they become a political lobby. Yeah, we did. Um, And what's interesting is that None of that should have caught us by surprise. If you start to read the Bible historically and understand how Christians have always read prophecy, none of that would have caught us by surprise. It actually predicted that Christians would walk some of the same paths that Israel did. And the Old Testament is a story of what God's people did wrong. They were worshiping idols. They were abandoning the covenant with God. And the book of Revelation revealed that Christians would walk the same path and do the same things. So when Christians are driving the Muslims and Jews out of Spain in the 15th century, the Bible didn't predict that specific event, but it absolutely predicted that we would have that attitude and develop it, and it's not what God wanted for us. Um, And this is one of the reasons that the book of Revelation, two-thirds of the language is actually borrowed from the Old Testament. John the Revelator is repeating the warnings of Old Testament prophets, but he's applying it to the church. And I I guess I've wandered off the question a little bit, but that's what's behind these series is like, look, none of this was a surprise. The church did go off the rails. Mm -hmm. We started to blend church and state, and we started to mix Roman-style politics with Christianity in the fourth century. It was predicted. It happened exactly as predicted. And there is a story about what the future holds as well, and that there is a way back to being a more Christ-like Christianity. Mm. So, for someone who um, is unfamiliar with church history, um, and I find yeah. surprisingly um, that that maybe not so surprisingly because <laughs> people don't read anymore. But um, you know, there's a surprisingly high level of of uh, ignorance um, about a lot oh, yeah. of these events. Um, they're not usually taught in even our standard history classes. Usually, it seems like no. History ends at the fall of Roman Empire and begins again at Columbus and all that stuff happening in between. (laughs) We don't even teach here. So uh, I learned some things through through what you were able to share. So um, just uh, just briefly kind of give a an overview of of what exactly you were able to uncover in in those two series. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And, and of course, the series, you know, we could go on for hours. I could go on for weeks about <laughs> it, but we boiled, we kind of boiled it down that, that there came this moment in Christianity where when, when Christians were persecuted, and by the way, that was also 
predicted in the Bible. It, it was quite clear. We take a look at Revelation 6 and what Christians have historically understood by that chapter. We see that the birth of the Christian church is predicted. The persecution by the pagan Roman Empire is predicted. But then it shows this move where when Christians are having, you know, the persecution ends with the Edict of Milan. Uh, Constantine's mother was a practicing Christian. I do raise questions about how much of a practicing Christian Constantine himself was, because even after his professed conversion, he's still killing off family members he considers a threat, and he refuses to get baptized almost to the day he dies. Um, but he's he's Christian. He's a Christian empire uh, emperor, rather. He defines himself as such, and he looks at these Christians who were being horribly persecuted by Diocletian, the Roman emperor, and he sees how united they are, and he thinks, man, I'm going to unite the entire Roman empire. Up to his day, there had been four emperors, sort of the tetrarchy was ruling the empire. He thinks, if I convert the empire to Christianity, these Christians are so united, my empire will be united. Now, he probably should have met some Christians before he came to that conclusion. Um, <laughs> right. You know, because, you know, we're not always united, and the Bible points that out, right. too, that, you know, it's the Bible's not afraid of pointing out Christian sins. No, and it's not. so. A bunch of uh, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. I said no. It's definitely not. Yeah. Uh, not oh, yeah. silent on no, that. No, we're human. Yeah, we're not human. We're human beings. So these these disputes emerge in the church. You now the Aryan controversy in North Africa, the Donatist controversy, a whole bunch of these controversies arise. And when Christians can't settle it themselves, they say, you know what? The Roman emperor's on our side now. Let's appeal to him. And so they drag the Roman Empire into their discussions. And the next thing you know you get a blend, and not a healthy blend. We start looking at the church as a political tool, and we start looking at the state as a religious tool, and it's the beginning of an awful lot of heartache. So there is an explanation for the things we were doing, the Inquisition, burning heretics at the stake. Jesus didn't do any of those things, but Christians did. And it was born, well, for example, Constantine, uh, noticed Diocletian burning people at the stake to deal with uh, their resistance against the Roman Empire, and we adopted the same thing later on. Let's deal with heretics the way the Romans deal with heretics. And my goodness, we made a mess of the religion of Christ. And then we looked at another series, Pale Horse Rides, and we say, well, there's got to be genuine biblical Christianity. Surely we weren't all behaving like that. And so we looked at this, you know, we kind of did a thought experiment. There's a Christian church that exists in the British Isles off the coast in Ireland that emerged, basically all they had was a copy of the Bible. And we asked the question, what would happen if all you had was a copy of the Bible and you didn't have the Roman emperor influencing it? And we get this remarkably New Testament-looking church emerging in the, um, well, basically in Ireland and on rocky coasts, hiding from all the junk that's going on in um, the Western Roman Empire. And so that's pale horse rides. There was a, a biblical Christianity, one that strove to stick with the teachings of Jesus, and that one's exciting. And so you get this um, you get this contrast between a corrupted Christianity and one that uh, tries to adhere to the teachings of Christ. And in pale horse rides, we find out that Revelation predicted that as well, that there would be sort of a church hiding in the wilderness that would stick with the truth, and that one day a lot of that truth would reemerge just before Jesus comes again. I don't know if that covers that's a lot of history and it's thirteen no, hundred it, years worth of history. Well, I I just I just recommend uh, you know the, those those miniseries because you know I I really personally enjoyed them and I know um, my church did as well. 
And, and so, you know, when you think about um, looking back at, at church history, um, you know, if, if someone's thinking, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really much into church history, um, you know, it just seems kind of boring to me. And you even said it yourself. At, yeah. at one point, you were not that into it Oh, yourself. I hated history, Travis. Oh, my goodness, I hated it. It didn't make sense to me. So, so what's the point? They're all dead. Why would we study all these dead people? That was my attitude earlier. So, so what would what, what case would you make for the twenty first century Christian? Um, you know, digging into some of this stuff. Why? Why is it relevant? Why is this old Christian history that some would say, "Well, you know, that's you know, we're not like that anymore." That was, uh, you know, our our barbaric time of of, yeah. uh, of existence yeah. <laughs> and we've we've been enlightened I, since then and and we're you know yeah, we're, we're, we'll never go back to that again so why why should someone even spend the time looking at it yeah, wouldn't it be nice if that was true that human beings had conquered the darkest things about themselves you know as we get to the end of the 19th century and into the early 20th century, we actually have records in the British Hansard, you know, the the records of what was being said in Parliament, where people are standing up and saying, we've now become so enlightened, coming out of the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution, the Scientific Revolution, the Enlightenment, we've put an end to war. Well, then we move straight into the bloodiest century in the history of the planet, 203 million people killed in the 20th century. And that creates all kinds of disillusionment, generates postmodern thinking, saying, well, I guess we really can't understand anything. And now we live in a world where there's no black and white, no understanding anything. I would encourage people to dig into this because there is an explanation for the way that human beings are. There's a solution that God provides, and he underlines the fact, oh, he he explains why we have failed every time to conquer the darkest things about ourselves and what his solution is. And you find that by digging into church history, by digging into prophetic history, you start to see very clearly that uh, that human nature hasn't changed, and you start to understand why we're always disappointed when we try to fix the things that plague us most. And then you get this ray of hope on the horizon. My goodness, someone saw all this, they understand it all, and they're telling us there is a solution coming, and uh, th- that's just a mind-blowing experience. Mm. What I would encourage people to do is, look, study Jesus. If you hate history, study Jesus. How do you, nobody hates Jesus. Even his worst critics have to say, well, he's, you know, what do you, you can't argue with Jesus. We might not think he's the son of God, but I uh, can't argue with that. Study Jesus, look at it, and then start to dig into some of the historical events that surround his life. And I promise you, you're going to get hooked, even if you hate history. You'll you'll notice, for example, who's Herod the Great? Herod the Great, the one who tried to have all the babies killed. You start reading about him, and you discover he was tried before the Sanhedrin exactly like Jesus did with a different result. The Roman Empire came in to save him from the Sanhedrin instead of crucifying him. Um, Then you get the sack of the temple by the Romans and, and how Jesus predicted that not one stone would be left upon another. And to this day, you can visit Jerusalem, and all that's left is a heap of stones from the former temple. And once you start digging into the specifics around Jesus' life, you'll start realizing none of that was a surprise. It was predicted centuries in advance, and you start to wonder, I wonder if these other predictions for our future are also reliable. You'll get hooked. And I think the message for me, Travis, is this. There's nothing new under the sun. The problems we face in the 21st century are not new. We like to think it's new because, as you said, we don't know history like we used to. I think for most of us, our knowledge of history doesn't go back to before World War II. 
But once you start to see it, you get peace of mind. Somebody's watching, somebody's in control, and there is a way out of this mess. Mm. Yeah, and and especially interesting when you, it's not just history, but like you said, Bible prophecy is basically history given to us in advance, right? And so for us today, we can look back and say, yeah, this stuff already happened. But, you know, when you look at the time when the book of Revelation was written or or the book of Daniel or one of the other prophetic apocalyptic books uh, of the Bible, uh, you know, obviously they were written— um, minimally, uh, like 2000 years ago and, and beyond. And yet you right. see this historical, uh, um, outline, a sense that, that you find in the, in the book of revelation. And so I, I think that, um, is, would you say your miniseries were based on that, right? Where you, where you were basing the miniseries, not just on history, but also, um, on some of the chapters in the book of Revelation. Yeah, absolutely. What, what we're trying to show, yeah, we're trying to highlight this idea that none of this has caught God by surprise, and we could have known all along the way what was going on. And so it's anchored completely. What we're doing is showing how Christians used to read Revelation. And once you understand that, you know, particularly chapters 12, 13, and 14, um, which sort of form the centerpiece of the book of Revelation, once once you start to see it all come together, you realize this book makes huge. You can read Revelation just as comfortably as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm. And that's exciting because I think for some people, they might think um, even even those listening who maybe have been Christians for a long time right. uh, just have maybe convinced themselves that, that Revelation is for, for the pastor and the scholars at the seminary, but but that's not something that I can really understand. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> but I, but it's exciting what you're saying because it's, it's not true. And, and I think that's essentially why, why, you know, you and I both are, are so excited about sharing Bible prophecy, because when you teach and understand some of these principles of interpretation, then, then um, it becomes much easier and it, and it's like, Oh wow, this does make sense. And, and, and that's what I'm excited about your next um, miniseries that's coming out in in January 2020. Yeah, um, it's uh, just in time for the next presidential election <laughs> cycle. <laughs> yeah, um, and tell us, um, would this is this is kind of the continuing the story, right, of Revelation 12 and 13? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. You see these profound, you know, they're really sort of very impressive and to some people frightening. Uh, statements being made in a chapter like Revelation, you know, Revelation 13. And here you got this beast that crawls up out of the sea, and you got a beast that's on the land. And and what we're going to do in this next series is show you that it actually makes perfect sense. It's not somebody's fantastic, you know, they ate they ate pizza at midnight and had horrible nightmares and wrote it down. There's There's logic to it. It makes sense. And in Final Empire, we're going to move you know, those chapters reveal what happened with Constantine and so on, and we're going to take it right down to the end zone to stuff that isn't in the past anymore, but is laying just over the horizon. So, yeah, we are continuing on with building an understanding of chapters 12 and 13 in particular in the book of Revelation. I think people find it mind-blowing that, you know, the, the things that are going on in America today, well, the specifics aren't, you know, named. We don't have names of presidents and congressmen and senators, but 
the general playing field that exists today certainly does appear to have been predicted, and there are some interesting things there to learn about what we can expect next. Mm. Yeah, I, I think especially when you compare what we're headed towards and with an accurate understanding of what we came from, uh, because a kind of you know when you when you ended um, pale horse rides. It was like right at the beginning or the dawn of the Reformation. Um, and exactly. of course, the Reformation is what spawned the United States of America. The United States of America is the child of the Reformation. And, Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And, and so when, when we look forward now, you know, so you, you kind of can't separate, even though I, you know, we, we know that the, the, the country itself was founded on on principle of no king no pope um and right. and religious liberty and and that's essentially what um you know the experiment the great american experiment was all about um but sure. now now in 2020 you know we we it's i mean you kind of wouldn't you kind of have to not be watching the news at all to kind of see a change happening not only in the United States of America, but also the church. So, so what concerns you most, um, you know, and I don't know how much you, you want to tease about what, what you guys are going to be oh, talking no, about. No, but let's, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about that because you're right. The United States of America, and we're going to demonstrate that in this series. It is a child of the reformation. You're completely right about that. That was also predicted in prophecy. And um, and the American experiment is unique in human history. There have been other republics, but not like this one. Here's a republic that is born with the notion of religious liberty woven through it, that people can coexist uh, from there, and that this is what God wanted here on earth at this time. There have been other experiments with religious liberty. The Dutch Republic, you know, was the freest nation of its day in the 1600s, and those who were being persecuted, like the Jews in Spain, they were fleeing to the Netherlands. Um, a lot of the non-Church of England Protestants who wanted to, you know, exercise freedom of faith, like the Fifth Monarchists and the Barrowists and so on, they're all fleeing to the Netherlands, and there they begin to examine the scriptures, and as you say, they're, they're saying to themselves, my goodness, you know, Israel once asked for a king to be involved in the church, and that ruined them, and that's what we did with Constantine. What if we could find a place where we don't have a pope or a king that is running the show, and everyone has the ability to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience? It's born entirely out of the Reformation, but we've lost a sense of history now, and we no longer understand that. And what worries me, I guess, and concerns me, and maybe drives Final Empire a little bit, is just how quickly our generation seems to be willing to part with what the forefathers, you know, our forefathers in this nation fought so hard for. Now, our forefathers weren't perfect. You know, in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, they hung Mary Dyer for being a Quaker. They got it wrong a bunch of times before they got it right. But they got it right. And I remember, you know, it's a famous quote because it's become a meme all over the Internet. But Ben Franklin once said, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. So they're looking at what they've built. You've got liberty now. Be very careful that you don't give it up in an emergency or a crisis and cede this because it's only happened once in the history of the world and it's going to be hard 
to keep it together. And I guess that's my number one concern, Travis. We're looking at a world now that seems to be ignorant of why this, this nation exists and what we were given by the people who fought so hard to give it to us. So now we have, you know, if, I think anybody watching the news can see what's going on. You're only allowed to speak on a college campus if your ideology matches that of the students on that campus. And otherwise you're told you may not speak. And we, mm. we see people being cut out of social media platforms if they say the wrong things. Now, social media platforms, not government. Those are privately owned and the owners have the right to do what they want. But the trend is you disagree with me. You must be silenced. And we're appealing to the state to do that. We want laws that silence people who don't agree with us. And that's a dangerous place to go. It's where we came from when we built this nation in the first place. And we're going to show that that also was predicted in Bible prophecy and that we need to recognize what's going on and, as Christians, preserve liberty, not just for ourselves, but for everybody, because this was a unique gift of God that is not going to repeat. And uh, I think we ought to fight for it as long as we can. We, We can't sacrifice other people's freedoms to make ourselves comfortable. That is not what this nation was. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just um, really amazing to me to to just, and I'm not that old, um, and, and just to see uh, the changes um, that have, oh, yeah. have have happened in the last um, 20 years. Uh, basically, since 9/11, we've been sure. on this kind of trajectory, to moving away from freedom and and moving more towards. Um, restriction of of freedom in this country and and you see it around the world and right now you know you see a reaction to that right you see protests happening all over the world um and you know we're we're not into um prognosticating uh you know about or speculating but you know there there's clearly a a recognition of the abuse of power that seems to be the trend around the world and and people i think are going to be wanting to know okay what does the bible say about this rise of power and the abuse of power right and i think that's essentially what revelation 13 teaches right i mean if you go and look at it that's and i don't cool. want to go you know too much into detail <laughs> But it's interesting, no, we don't right? Want to give the story away. People need to come watch the <laughs> yeah. series. But yeah, but Revelation yeah. thirteen and fourteen, you you find this warning about receiving the mark of the beast, and right. uh, and so without going into a detailed explanation, what would you say to our listeners is the the principle um, behind this? What is God trying to say principally? Sure with this warning and then what do you th- what would you say is the most misunderstood aspect to it because sometimes right. when you just say mark the beast you know people just roll their eyes or 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 oh, they yeah. just give yeah. you a look of confusion so so kind right. of like just share with our listeners you know the the principle behind it and then kind of what would you say is most misunderstood about it yeah and you know what the eye roll i think a lot of us as christians have earned the eye roll because of the way that we've mishandled that here we live in this um, environment where Christians lift one verse out of the Bible, build an entire theory on it, and ignore the historical context that John's first century audience would have understood. They ignore the, uh, you know, the biblical context that brings light to what is being said. The mark of the beast is a concept that is taught all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. And without that information, you come to these really 
odd and frankly new interpretations. So ever since I was a kid, people have been saying, Mark of the Beast, it's going to be, you know, they're going to hold you down, put a tattoo on your forehead and you're lost. Well, that doesn't make sense in, in light of a loving God that, you know, I could hold you down, Travis, mark your forehead and you're lost. I mean, that's not what it's talking about. What we get in the Bible is, is a really simple story. You have to read the whole book if you want to understand what's going on in Revelation 13. And the whole book says the whole world was once God's kingdom. We rejected him. We walked out on our own voluntarily. And God could have wiped us out, but he loved us too much to do that. And so we have these two sides emerge early in the story, way back, beginning in Genesis, right? Right in the beginning of the story, you get these cities built by Nimrod, or the Babylonians would have called him Gilgamesh. The Assyrians would have called him Gilgamesh. And they're human empires. And so what we have in the Bible is the story of human kingdoms pitted against the kingdom of God. And God allowing us to do this experiment in self-government and what happens in Bible prophecy is God shows us the reality of the mess we've made, the pain and the suffering. He's, he loves us enough to show us what we have done. But then he always holds out, here's my solution. Here's how I can restore what used to be and how my kingdom will solve your worst problems. This is why you see in, in Bible prophecy, Revelation 11, the final decision is the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever. You look at Daniel 7, there's a solemn judgment scene, and at the end of that, Jesus is given dominion and glory over all people, nations, and languages, and he gets a kingdom that lasts forever. And that theme shows up again and again and again and again and again. What you have in Revelation 13 is the culmination of human government, uh, the, of human effort, rather, to run this planet ourselves and the giant mess that we make. And then you got to keep on reading into Revelation chapter 14, where God has his people gathered on Mount Zion. It's a symbol of his kingdom, and how he plans to replace all of the pain and suffering and the misery we've caused with an everlasting kingdom, where Revelation 21 says he wipes away all our tears. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. And, um, and so what you have in Revelation 13, Mark of the Beast, is so much broader than just like a computer chip or a tattoo. It's a decision. Where are we going to go? Are you going to finally admit that human kingdoms cause disaster and that what we need is the kingdom of Christ? Or are you going to, in a, or are you going to stick with the way the world is? You know, and there's the decision that is there under the mark of the beast. It's so much more profound than the science fiction movies that we've been cranking out in the last few years. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know when when I've approached that topic with people. Um, yeah, there, there just seems to be this underlying um, uh, fear or, or underlying um, almost like, like, like it's conspiracy or something like that when you bring it up. And, and yeah. it's really not. It's, it's a simple, I like what you were it saying is. about, you know, it's, a, it's simply, um, uh, you know, I, I like to explain it uh, by, by just the example from the, the three Hebrews in, in Daniel chapter 3. Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever use that to kind of try to oh, I do. share the oh, yeah, I principle do, behind it. Th it's definitely borrowing. Revelation 13 is definitely borrowing from that chapter in the book of Daniel. No question about it. And, uh, and, and so essentially, yeah, it, it's just like you said, it's a decision. Do we, do we stand up or, or do we bow down? And, uh, and the pressure, of course, in the last days is going to be to bow down. You know, the, just in, as in that story... Right. 
um, everybody, um, the peer pressure was, was great. And yet, um, uh, you know, the, the, the fidelity and the faithfulness of, of those uh, three Hebrews um, uh, allowed them to stand. And that's kind of what we want. You know, I mean, that's why we're teaching Bible prophecy. That's why I'm doing Adventology. And I know that's why you're doing Voice of Prophecy is to encourage people to stand, right? Encourage people to, exactly to right. not just go with the flow of the world, that, that God is, is, is real, that God is, his way is better, um, his his plan is better, and um, and the the wool is definitely over the eyes of of, of the world, and yet um, uh, you know the the promise is is that God is going to light the world uh, with with this truth before He comes. So right. Revelation eighteen one absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm excited. I, I I'm uh, we're going to be. Um, participating with you guys at, at my church in Daytona Beach. And uh, if you end up listening to this episode after that time, I'm sure you're still going to oh, be yeah, able to find it, right? It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can still get your hands on this stuff. You're going to have to go to... You know, we're, we're setting up sort of like in Daytona Beach study centers. It's more than just, you know, we've, we've gathered footage from all over the world. We're telling a story that has long been forgotten. We're going to tell the story of why Columbus actually crossed the ocean. It had nothing to do with proving that the world was round. It had everything to do with the unfolding of Bible prophecy. We're going to talk about in America what it was supposed to be, the mess we're making out of it, maybe cast a little bit of light on what's going on in America today, and then give an opportunity to actually learn to study prophecy for yourself. We don't want to just give opinions. What we want to do is give people the tools they need to read it for themselves and understand it and see the broader historical context. And so if you're listening to this in advance, I mean, you can find out about this. Go to finalempire.com, and you can find a location near you. We know you can get to it at uh, Daytona Beach, and this will be worth this will be worth your time. It's short, it's punchy, and there's going to be opportunity for study materials that I think you'll really, really enjoy. So, um, man, I'm looking forward to this one more than just about any of the rest because this is sort of the – the third in the trilogy and really starts looking at the day we live in. Mm. So if they wanted to get a hold of the previous two miniseries, um, is that something that there, it is available to, to get as well? Uh, yeah, we, well, we were working, we're working with, uh, groups and churches all across the nation that are discovery centers. And that's the place that, that you want to go to find that stuff. I think you can, you can get your hands on it by going to voiceofprophecy.com. Sure. It's not available on YouTube or, or, uh, Netflix at this point. Uh, you want to go to voiceofprophecy.com and, and see if you can get a hold of it there or, you know, Travis, I'm sure they could ask you. You can get your hands on this stuff. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. We we uh, you know, and then we can uh, even make it. Uh, you know, it's fun. You know, some of these uh, you know, Hollywood movies that make trilogies. Sometimes people they they make these watch parties, right? And they they come in 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 oh, that'd be and, fun. And they watch all three at once, and and uh, you know, that's something then that I I think adds to the to the the uh, message when you when you see it all together and you see the the big picture of how god is is working through history oh man i'd never thought of that we should do like a marathon day where you can watch all <laughs> there you go i think all told there's and we have some other bible prophecy series in there as well but the historical ones 
I think the whole series, you, you could watch one there. How many are there? Nine, four, there's like 13 or 14 episodes. You could spend a day going through this stuff, and I think it would be well worth the time. I think I'm going to steal your idea. <laughs> well, uh, man, thanks so much for coming on with me, Sean. I know you're um, super busy, and this was a privilege to have you. And uh, just as a final word, um, you just kind of going back to your personal experience, you know, how does Bible prophecy personally give you hope? You know, as you look around and you see the mess that the world just seems to be sinking farther right. and farther into, and, and you look at the church and doesn't always give us the, the best um, <laughs> example uh, of, of, you know, what, what, what gives you hope as you look forward? You know, it, he, here's something interesting that Jesus once said. It's in it's in John 14. He's talking about the fact that when he goes back to heaven, he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things that Jesus taught. And then he says something really interesting about the purpose of prophecy. So often people say, well, prophecy is to, yeah, you use the word prognosticate, and that's right. A lot of Christians have embarrassed themselves by trying to use prophecy to prognosticate. What Jesus says, uh, in it's in John 14, verse 29, I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I have peace of mind because I've started studying prophecy, and when things happen, you go, ah, that's what he was talking about. It's it, The purpose of it is to recognize God at work when he is at work. It's not about prognosticating the future. And the peace of mind that gives is like every signpost has been absolutely accurate. You know, I, I used to live up on the Alaska Highway, and in some of the blizzards, they were white-knuckle blizzards. I'd be driving for hours on end, and you couldn't even see the front of your car, let alone the edge of the road. And I'm driving along, and suddenly I see a radio tower with a blinking light, and I think, ah, I'm 30 miles from my house now. That gives me hope. I'm almost there. And then Another 10 miles go by, and I see the glow of my town on the horizon. Man, I'm almost home. I'm almost home. And what prophecy does for me, Travis, is like, my goodness, we are really close to getting home. I can see the glow on the horizon. Everything God said would happen has happened. And the mind-blowing part is we're almost right down at the very end. We're running out of things that still have to happen. The peace of mind that that gives you, that God's in control, he cares enough to show you where you are and how close you are to home, man, that's a great way to live. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today studying the importance of Bible prophecy with Pastor Sean Boonstra. But don't just take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com where you can find the show notes from this episode and the transcripts from all the previous episodes that we have published. And while you're there, don't forget to check out finalempire.com as well to find out where you can catch Sean in January. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend, or better yet, please leave a rating and a review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today. And I look forward to seeing you in our next episode of Adventology. Until then, Maranatha.